the warning of the prophets. We're going to be reading Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. Now, there's a lot of stuff in here and a lot of stuff we could go through and a lot of stuff that you could surmise and all that stuff. But we're just going to do some of it. If you want to do a deeper study, that's fine. That's not what we're doing in the warning of the prophets. The warning of the prophets is teaching you about warnings. And the prophet Daniel has given us some warnings. So we use a King James Version Bible. We ask the Father for the wisdom, the knowledge, and understanding in the name of Yahshua as we go through this second half of Daniel chapter 9. And I can tell you that personally, I find Daniel chapter 9 to be or becoming one of my favorite chapters of prophecy, besides, of course, Revelation. Daniel chapter 9, let's pick it up in verse 20. And whiles I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I came to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. There's a lot of ands in that verse. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks. And threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again, the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease and for the overspreading of abomination he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Well, I can tell you that a lot of supposed Bible scholars will tell you some things about those last verses. And, of course, if you listen to them, then everything gets messed up in prophecy. And everybody's waiting for things that they shouldn't be waiting for. And I can tell you that I've never really studied Daniel before, so I never knew. I've been heard from different sources about the Bible prophecy concerning the last verses there. And um, I just accepted them, you know. Uh, but as God has shown us in our study here, don't listen to the scholars. God will tell you the truth if you want to listen. So let's go back 
we just read Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 through 27. And let's just get an overview of what happened prior to that. So you know what's going on. Daniel had gotten a hold of the books written by the servants of Israel and read them. But an interesting point to remember, not until the Babylonian captivity was over, which is interesting to me. So once the Babylonians were, you know, no longer in charge of the captivity of Israel, or Judah in particular, then Daniel was, had access to the books. So if we look at Daniel's prayer here and what Daniel was saying, I want you to go with me to verse 4 in chapter 9. So verse 4 says, And I prayed unto the Lord my God, and made my confession, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keep the covenant and mercy to them that love him, and to them that keep his commandments. Now, where did Daniel get that from? This was after he had read the books. Well, I'll tell you where he got it from. So we know what Daniel read. Let's go to Exodus. Hold your place in Daniel. So go to Exodus 20. Exodus 20, coming out of bondage. And let's begin in verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt make unto thee, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. That's what Daniel was referring to. Now let's read, go back to Daniel and read verse 9. It says, To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. And what is Daniel quoting this time? The Psalms. Hold your place in Daniel and go to Psalms 130. The reason why we're doing this is so you understand what Daniel found. You know, he didn't know God the way that he could have known God. He didn't have access to the books until a certain time. So he didn't know what they said. So we're going to Psalms 130, verse 7 and 8. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquity. Sound familiar? Daniel is saying a prayer to God of things that he has just learned about God. Go back to Daniel now. Let's read verse 11 through 15. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, that the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. Actually, I want you to 
Go to Deuteronomy with me. We'll just read verse 11 for now. Go to Deuteronomy with me. And verse I mean, chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. So let's read verses 1 through 3. And it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessings and the curse, which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations, whether the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shall return unto his Lord thy God, and shall obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn the captivity and have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. So, you get it? You understand? Daniel is seeing that and he knows what Israel has done. Go back to Deuteronomy now in verse 12. I mean, uh, Daniel now in verse uh, chapter 9, verse 12. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us and against our judges that judge us, that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil for under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon jerusalem as it is written in the law of moses all this evil is come upon us yet made we not our prayer before the lord our god that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth therefore hath the lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth for we obeyed not his voice and now O Lord our God that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has gotten thee renowned as at this day we have sinned we have done wickedly so as you can tell Daniel's prayer that he's praying is from things that he's learned from the books of the Old Testament. And one of the things that Daniel found out, as we know in the beginning of chapter 9 there, is the 70 years. So he was reading Jeremiah along with other books and Daniel has counted the time from, you know, the Babylonian captivity. And he knows they are supposed to be in captivity for 70 years, as Jeremiah said. But he wants to have God let them out early. So Daniel says this prayer. So that's where we've gotten up to. And we wanted to go into the prayer just a little bit so you know where Daniel got the prayer from, why he thinks what he does, and why he's asking God to, you know, take them out of captivity early. Now let us see what God's answer is. And in verse 20, and while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God while he was saying that. Daniel was praying and now he knew that what the law was. He was telling God all his sins and Israel's sins because they hadn't been following the law of Moses. Now imagine this, okay? This is Daniel beloved of God, knew who God was and wanted to do what God wanted him to do and thought he was. And God actually did, you know, work with Daniel in captivity. But now that he has access to these books, imagine how Daniel would have felt 
He thought he was doing everything God wanted by keeping the food laws. That's what he took, he, he was, you know, concerned with. And to find out about all the other commands and things written that he should have been doing. Now, a thought that God gave me as I was doing this study. Interestingly, there in Exodus, one of those commands was idol worship. We read it. God gave this big idol worship thing. And you know that when Israel was in captivity with Egypt, that Egypt, you know, had a lot of gods and a lot of idols. And so they were in captivity. They were in Egypt for about 400 years. And so you had generation after generation after generation of people that had learned about idol worshiping. And so when God started to give the rules, you know, to Israel by Moses in Exodus, one of his first rules was idol worship. <laughs> he, he wanted to make sure that they understood about idol worshiping. Now understand, Daniel didn't know this stuff, which I find amazing. So, when Daniel was taken captive, all right, all Israel did was idol worship. It is all Daniel knew. Do you understand? Okay. We know that Jeremiah went and warned them, but as Daniel's prayer tells us, no one listened to Jeremiah. No one went and read the books. No one cared what God had to say. No one cared what, Dan what uh, Jeremiah had to say. Daniel was one of those people. Okay. Granted, he was young, probably a teenager or something, but he was still one of those and he had been brought up with idol worship, and that's all he knew. Now, I want you to hold your place in Daniel, and I want you to go with me to Jeremiah chapter 11, and I want you to see the condition of Israel. So go to Jeremiah chapter 11, and it's interesting how God works things out. We're actually in Jeremiah chapter 11, um, we were last week on the uh, review of um, the book of Jeremiah because we've gone through the whole book and we're doing a review every um, week of, uh, you know, the chapters. And we were doing chapter 11 last week. So that's how come, you know, God reminded me of what I had read in Jeremiah chapter 11. So I want you to look with me, Jeremiah chapter 11 and verse 11. And therefore thus saith the Lord, behold, of course he's talking to Jeremiah, I will bring evil upon them which they, uh, will bring evil upon them which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. This is during the time of Daniel being in, when he was in Judah. Then shall the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto the gods unto whom they offer incense, but they shall not save them at all in the time of their trouble. Why won't they save? Because guess what? Those are idle and they're fake and they're made of wood. They can't do anything. And then now is the problem. And this is what Daniel grew up knowing. And this is the way his life was in Jerusalem. For according to the number of thy cities were thy gods. So guess what, Judah and Jerusalem, you had all these gods, O Judah, and according to the number of streets in Jerusalem, 
Have ye set up altars to that shameful thing, even altars to burn incense unto Baal? So, just so you understand, the cities of Judah, they all, everybody had their own idol and their own god that they worshipped, all the different cities. Jerusalem had a god too. It was the god of Baal. And so, Jerusalem's god of Baal had an altar and they had to do sacrifices to Baal. And Jerusalem in every street of the city of Jerusalem, where Daniel was brought up, where he walked the streets and it's all he saw, they had an altar to Baal in every street that sacrificed to Baal. And the different cities, if, you know, Daniel went on a trip or something, all the cities had all these other gods. So, what God showed me as I was doing this study of Daniel, and Daniel's eyes being open to what God's commands really are, and not what he had been taught as a kid. He's, you know, they had taught him the food laws, so he, you know, he wanted to keep the food laws. And, and this is showing you that Daniel was not doing what he's doing because he hated God, because he didn't want to, you know, do what God wanted him to do. No, Daniel is elect. Daniel did what Daniel did because he didn't know any better. So, when Nebuchadnezzar had set up an idol in chapter 3 of Daniel, and we see nothing mentioned about Daniel not being thrown into the furnace. So he hadn't been thrown into the furnace. And we see nothing about Daniel not bowing to worship this idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We can see how upset Daniel was at himself because he didn't know the law of God. The reason why Daniel wasn't thrown into the furnace like his friends were is because Daniel worshipped and knelt down. He didn't know any better. And it was like, wow, now I understand. Can you imagine what Daniel's feeling now? Can you just imagine, you know, all these laws and all these commands and all this stuff and and he now has the books and he reads them and he finds out. So in verse 21, going back to Daniel 9, Daniel's praying and he's telling God all of his sins and he can't believe it and all this stuff. And he knows why God brought Israel into captivity and all this stuff. 21 is telling us, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had, he had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. So what's going on now is that Daniel's, he's guilty, man, he's, he's, he's besides himself with guilt in what he has done. So, 21 tells us Daniel is acknowledging his sins to God now that he knows them. And while he is listing his sins, guess what happens? Gabriel appears to him. Now, Gabriel is the same one that he had seen while Babylon was still in control. And so... Now, this is Gabriel's back again, but when he had seen Gabriel before, it was while um, Babylon was still in control. Now, I want you to look at what this says, and here's another lesson for us in translations, which I think was amazing when God showed it to me as I was doing this. Because, see, I don't check every word. I only check the words that the Spirit leads me to check. 
because the spirit knows where the trouble is and the things that the spirit wants us to know. And that's the spirit of God, by the way. Spirit isn't, you know, its own entity. It's God's spirit. And so now look at what this says about Gabriel. And I find this interesting. And it says, Gabriel didn't walk over to Daniel, first of all. He came and uh, the words, what does it say? Being caused to fly swiftly. <laughs> Being caused to fly swiftly. Now, in the English, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> and I've read Daniel before and I, you know, I never really saw it. <laughs> it's funny how God will not let us see things when it's not time for whatever reason. And, you know, as I read it this time, I said, wait, wait a minute, that doesn't even make sense. What do you mean? What is that? What is that talking about cause to fly swiftly? <laughs> I don't understand it. It isn't a correct sentence. It isn't correct information. It isn't correct English. So then, of course, what do you do? You check out the languages. And, and the words mean flying swiftly actually mean nothing to do with really flying in general. But <laughs> it means that flying means on a very long trip and being worn out which is very interesting. So that's actually what it said. Gabriel noticed that when, I mean, uh, Daniel noticed that when Gabriel, Gabriel appeared, he looked worn out. And that's actually what it's saying. And he had a rough time before he got to Daniel, which is very interesting. And, you know, I find it interesting that the translators leave that out and then they put this causing to fly swiftly. I mean, it just, it, it just didn't, doesn't make sense. That is why Gabriel gives Daniel the explanation he does in verse 23. And it says, at the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I came uh, to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. So Daniel uh, was told by Gabriel that when you started to talk to God and, you know, you found out, you read the books, and then you started to pray and you were giving supplications and all these sins, you're telling God, you know, now you know what you've done wrong and what Israel did wrong and you understand it all. And once you, I mean, you know, once you did that, once you started that process, Gabriel was sent, but Gabriel was sent in and it, and from the time that God sent him to the time he got to Daniel, the thing is that Gabriel had had to go through some tough stuff, rough stuff, which we don't know what he went through. We just know that there was a process. Something happened. And in another place, you know, we'll see where an angel actually tells Daniel what's going on. But Gabriel went through the same process, but it wasn't mentioned here, which I find interesting also. We see Gabriel, one of the angels of God, was worn out when he saw Daniel. <laughs> you understand? This shows us that God's angels don't have the smooth sailing that everything, everybody thinks <laughs> they do. It's, just, it's not what you think, not what, you know, the churches tell you about the angels. Oh, there are things going on in the spiritual realm. And that's just a little insight into that. 
God didn't go into details that time. And we want to pick it up in next verse, 22. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. So Gabriel wanted Daniel to know that God loved him. Daniel had read the law, was feeling guilty, and God sent Gabriel to explain things to him. And the, the trip <laughs> from where God was to where Daniel was, was a tough trip for Gabriel to get there. And the Bible doesn't tell us why. It just tells us it was. 23. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee that thou art greatly beloved. So, you see, Daniel was full of guilt. Daniel read the books. He didn't know nothing about these laws. He didn't understand none of this, and he probably had been breaking all these laws, thinking that he was okay with God. And then he figured out, no, I'm not. And so he's so guilty over what he's done that he's on his knees in sackcloth. And you understand why Daniel is so upset and he's in humbles himself in sackcloth and ashes and he's praying and fasting, not eating. The guilt must be overwhelming to him, a servant of God, finding out what he had been doing all this time was against God or God's law. And so because of the guilt that Daniel was going through and what he was saying and that stuff, God sent Gabriel to explain things. You understand? And so God wanted Gabriel to show Daniel that he loved him. And the next part of the verse says, For thou uh, art greatly beloved, therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. And so Gabriel was sent to let Daniel know God loved him. And he wasn't angry with Daniel like Daniel would have thought after reading the laws of God. So understand, and the thing that God has shown me through this study is that there are things sometimes that God does not reveal or allow us to know which are against God and God doesn't hold that against us. As long as, now, if you're like Daniel, and what you do know, which is what God's law is or what God wants, that you're doing that, then that's the way God accepts it. It's okay. But he doesn't accept it if you know what God wants, but you're doing something else plus other stuff that you don't know that God wants. So that's what God is showing us here, is that Daniel did what he thought God wanted. And in God's, and he was truly honest about that. That's what he thought. And God didn't have a problem with it. And he didn't want Daniel to feel guilty. Verse 24 tells us, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make a reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. I mean, there's a lot of ands there, okay? So... <laughs> Gabriel breaks down the 70 weeks that Jeremiah was talking about, okay? And Gabriel tells Daniel 
you know, different parts. 70 weeks having to do with Judah, 70 weeks having to do with Jerusalem, 70 weeks having to do with the revolt of Judah, 70 weeks to make a close close or completion of offenses, 70 weeks to bring about a covering for perversity, 70 weeks to bring righteousness that will last until the end of time, 70 weeks to seal up the vision prophecy, 70 weeks to get the sacred Messiah. All these things were part of the plan of God, which would lead to Yahshua, the son of God, which is what we know. Daniel didn't know this. We know. Gabriel was telling Daniel a lot of information, and it had to do with the souls of humans, not only a flesh nation. You see, Daniel was connected to, to the old covenant, which had to do with flesh Israel, the nation, and all that. So Daniel couldn't understand the Messiah part about Jesus, for it was another time and not in his lifetime. Gabriel was just telling him these things. So in verses 25 through 27, which is the part where a lot of prophecy is put in they you know when they say this stuff about a wall and you know before the messiah and blah 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 all this nonsense that you've heard in prophecy which is not <laughs> what it actually is talking about anyway we're going to go through it and hopefully when we get through um, Daniel chapter 9, 25 through 27, as we find out what it's actually talking about, it's going to make a lot more sense to you. So, the first thing, Gabriel told Daniel that Jerusalem would be rebuilt. Yes. And so, Understand, let's go to 25. I want you to read it with me. Now, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks. So, the first part of that, Daniel is being told by Gabriel that Jerusalem was going to be rebuilt. And you see what it says? That from the going forth of the commandment to restore. So what Gabriel is telling Daniel is that God is going to decide when that will be. And it will be God that's going to get the ball rolling. But yes, Jerusalem will be rebuilt. You understand? Now, remember, Gabriel was talking about 70 weeks, right? With Daniel, because he had read that in Jeremiah. And that's what he was trying to do, was he was trying to get God to, you know, cut the 70 weeks short. Because he now knew the problem. But here in 25, Gabriel says something interesting. He's no longer talking about the 70 weeks. He goes from 70 weeks to seven weeks. So what does it say? Jerusalem's going to be built and then unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks. So this is different. It's not talking about the 70 weeks. You understand? Even though Christians and prophecies and all that stuff try to fit this in and they put the, you know, try to put it together and all this nonsense, you can't put it together. You have to understand 
This is a different time frame than Jerusalem being taken out of captivity after 70 weeks. There will be a Messiah, and that's all Gabriel saying. There will be a Messiah after Jerusalem is restored. And understand a certain amount of time. The seven weeks. The next part of the verse is not talking about the Messiah. It is talking about the restoration of Jerusalem. So this information, which of course God knows, Daniel is going to be writing it down and everybody that, you know, that reads it will see it. That you're either going to be understanding it from the flesh part of the prophecy or from the spiritual part of the prophecy. And so the next part, which has nothing to do with the Messiah whatsoever, that's just spiritually speaking, talking about Yahshua. So the next part of verse 25 says, and so this is something else three score and two weeks three score and three weeks is actually 62. 62 weeks the street sh shall be built again in the wall even in troublous times so guess what daniel is being told about the restoration of Jerusalem and how long it's going to take. This has nothing to do with the Messiah or Jesus. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> That's the part that they get messed up. They don't get it. The restoration will take a long time to rebuild Jerusalem and there will be trouble, which actually did take a long time. I want you to go with me so you can understand what exactly Gabriel is talking about to Daniel. I want us to hold our place in Daniel and go to Ezra. Ezra is before Daniel, which is interesting because it's after Daniel, but that's okay. Ezra. I want you to look at chapter one. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing saying, thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Do you see? Okay, we've got things are starting, and God has sent forth the commandment. And it was the first year of Cyrus of Persia. And he's going to build a temple to Yahweh, Cyrus, in Jerusalem. Yes. You understand? Now, do you think that Cyrus' God was Yahweh? No. He knew about Yahweh from, you know, Israel and stuff and Judah and those that were with him in the captivity and stuff. Probably even Daniel, because Daniel knew the stuff by that time. And guess what? He wanted a temple built to him, to this God of Israel. Go, go build a God, you know, this temple to, you, to your God. You understand? Look at Ezra 3. So, he says, build me a temple. And they went to Jerusalem. The, some of the captives left Babylon which is an interesting part, not all of them. And when the seventh month was come, 
And the children of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. So it took seven months until they were able to have a sacrifice in Jerusalem. You see? Interesting, isn't it? Let's go to chapter 4 of Ezra. And what does it say? Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity built the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esadon, king of Assur, which brought us up hither. So there was trouble between the two groups. Uh, Gabriel, what did he say? We'll go back there, but now go to Nehemiah. So that's the temple. So they're rebuilding the temple. Took seven months. And they're having trouble once they're over there building the temple. But let's go to Nehemiah, the next book over from Ezra. And go to chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chrislu in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan Palace, that Hanai, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burnt with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. The wall's broken. There's no gates in Jerusalem. Go to chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. And this is the king speaking. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asphas, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may keep me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. So Nehemiah wants to go and rebuild the walls and the streets in Jerusalem is a mess. And let's go to verse 19 here in chapter two. Are they going to have trouble too? But when Sanabalat, the Haranite and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite and Gisham, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will you rebel against the king? So you see, they were trying to cause trouble, trouble concerning rebuilding, rebuilding Jerusalem, which actually occurred. Now go back to Daniel and verse 25 and the last part of it, it says, And threescore and two weeks the streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Is What Gab Gabriel is doing is telling Daniel it will take 62 weeks, which, you know, God's time, to rebuild the city and the wall. 
and that there's going to be trouble when that happens. This is not talking about the Messiah. You see how those prophecy people got it wrong? Daniel is being told that Jerusalem will be rebuilt. Don't worry about it. But we know Daniel never went back to Jerusalem, even though he was still alive. In Ezra, we saw they started back to Jerusalem in the first year of Cyrus. And if we look at Daniel chapter 10, which is the next chapter we're going to be doing next time, what does it say? In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So we see Daniel still there in the third year of Cyrus, even though in the first year of Cyrus, a lot of people had left anybody that wanted to and went back to Jerusalem to build the temple. And so what Daniel is showing us is that Daniel's job was having to do with the rulers of their captivity, not the people of the captivity. Now, in the next verse, in 26 here, so Daniel's being told about Jerusalem. It's going to be rebuilt. There was a mention of a Messiah, but that was just having to do with the time frames. And it wasn't that there was going to be a Messiah. The Messiah was going to rebuild Jerusalem. There's going to be walls and all this and blowny, blowny, blowny. No, that's not what it's saying. And then we got 26. And after three score and two weeks, so Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt. Everything's going to be fixed over there in Jerusalem. Shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself? So you understand now Gabriel's going back to spiritual stuff. We're back to talking about the Messiah again. There was no Messiah when they rebuilt Jerusalem. See, there's two things being talked about here. And you have to be able to see. One is for Daniel's benefit the flesh. The other was and is for our benefit, the soul and spiritual information. The Messiah will be killed and this happens after Jerusalem is rebuilt and that's all that you need to take from that. And we know, don't we, <laughs> what happened with that, which is the time of Jesus and Jerusalem that Jerusalem had been restored and they have a temple built by Herod. That's right. So when Jesus is walking the earth, the Messiah, Jerusalem's all been restored. Herod built it. Jesus didn't build it. Okay. He was the Messiah. He didn't build it. He had nothing to do with building it. Herod built it. He built that temple. And Jerusalem is in good standing as far as it looks good and everything. It's a very um, populated city at the time of Jesus and all that. And of course, Rome controls it. But the next part of the verse talks about the destruction of the city. So that was around the time of Jesus. So you understand what's going on in verse 26. And after three score and two weeks, meaning after Jerusalem is built, Shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself? So you understand that what it's saying is the first part of that is telling you, telling Daniel, Jerusalem's going to be rebuilt. The second part of that is saying that the Messiah that God is going to send to earth is going to be killed. You understand? That's all it's saying. And that's exactly what happened. Jerusalem was rebuilt and Messiah was killed. You understand? That's what it's talking about. Don't get all discombobulated by the nonsense they teach in prophecy. Because it has nothing to do with this. Then you've got the next part here. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city 
and the sanctuary. So we get another part here. You got the people of the prince that shall come, shall destroy the city. So Jerusalem was rebuilt. The temple was rebuilt. The Messiah was killed. So the next thing we see is that it's going to be destroyed again. And Daniel's being told all this. Okay. Yep. It's going to be rebuilt. But it's also going to be destroyed again by someone um, that's going to be coming, is going to destroy it, which Jesus warned about, yes, the Messiah that was killed. So hold your place in Daniel, and I want you to first go to Matthew, Matthew 25, uh, 24. Yep, you know, Matthew 24 Verses 1 and 2, the same thing that Gabriel's telling Daniel. It's interesting, isn't it? And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He's talking about the destruction of the temple. Now let's go to Mark 13. That had been rebuilt. Then the Messiah was killed. And it wasn't destroyed until after the Messiah was killed. Do you understand? And we know Jerusalem wasn't destroyed until after the Messiah was killed. We'll get into that in a minute. Let's go to Mark 13, verse 1. And as he went out of the temple, one of the disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are, are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings, they, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. They're talking about the temple, and the temple was totally, completely destroyed. Now I want us to go to Luke 21. Luke 21. So Jesus is talking about the same thing that Gabriel told Daniel, which I find amazing. And I want you to know that for Smyrna people out there, and you know who you are, that, that there is a, there was a beloved pastor that, gave you some incorrect information. I'll just leave it at that. Verse 5. And as some spake of the temple, how it adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things which ye behold, the day will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So Jesus was talking about the destruction of the temple. Jesus told them what Daniel had also been told by Gabriel, that the temple and the city would be destroyed. And we know that happened in 70 AD. Go back to Daniel. It, isn't it amazing when you actually look at what the Bible's talking about and not listen to people and what they think it's talking about, that you see things that are, to me, it's just amazing. So let's go to, just so you know, I want to reread the middle of verse 26. So, well, it says um, in the beginning, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. So what that's saying is after Jerusalem is built, because that's when he said how long it would take, that the Messiah is going to be killed. So we know that. So the Jerusalem's built. Jesus dies. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So the, the city is going to be destroyed, Jerusalem and the temple. So the city and the temple that Jesus knew was going to be destroyed after Jesus by some ruler that comes. And, um, you know, history tells you who that was. 
So in verses uh, 26 and 27, Daniel is being told about the end of this earth age. You understand? That's what's being talked about. Um, if you look at the end of 26, it says, And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. So, so you understand? There's all different stuff being talked about here. There's nothing about no temple that's going to be built or some wall. We're waiting for a temple or wall to be built so that Messiah can show up. See how Satan has corrupted everything. That's not what it's saying. Everything that's said here prior to these last verses has already occurred. It's already happened. Okay. We got nothing to wait for for that. So we see that Daniel doesn't respond to what Gabriel tells him. No, it just ends. He tells him this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And, but God wanted Daniel to know. Don't feel guilty. I have a plan, Daniel. And everything will work out in the end. And that's why he had Gabriel tell him, ultimately in the end, everything's going to work out. We know that Gabriel was telling Daniel what Paul told believers and what Jesus told the disciples. This is an interesting little thing. Very interesting. So I want to read um, 26, the end of 26, and then go to 27. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abomination, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. <laughs> okay, this is, this is so good. Okay, so now I want you to, and, you know, we all know that ultimately Jesus is going to destroy the devil, right? That's, that's the bottom line right there. But let's go to Matthew 24. Go to Matthew 24 again. And I want you to read with me verse 15. Jesus speaking to the disciples. Amazing, amazing. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them be which be in Judah, Judea flee into the mountains. So, in Matthew 24, 15, a warning about the destruction of the temple they had there. That's what Jesus was talking about to the disciples, okay? He knew that the temple was going to be destroyed, that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And that's what he was talking about having to do with the flesh and his disciples. Now, Paul also talked about the same thing, but Paul was talking about not the end of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel, but the end of Satan's system. You understand? There's a difference. So Paul told believers about the exposure of the one who corrupted everything. Go to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul speaking, verse 2, that he be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. That means that it's not going to be at any moment. 
Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So, you know, that's the same thing that Daniel was being told by Gabriel. And, go to verse 8 now, And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. I want you to go with me and read the end of Daniel chapter 9 verse 27. And understand what's actually being talked about right there. What Jesus spoke about and what Paul spoke about. And it says... At the end of verse 27, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. And when everything is complete, which is what that means, in God's timing, Satan will be exposed for who he really is, and Yahshua will be the one who shows the world who Satan really is. So you see, you have to be able to discern what's being talked about. And in Daniel's case, Daniel was all upset about breaking God's law and having Jerusalem rebuilt. Why? Because Daniel wanted to have Jerusalem rebuilt so that he could go back and do what God wanted him to to do. He didn't know that he was supposed to be sacrificing things in the temple and God had rules and all this stuff. Interesting, isn't it? How things are right there and that you have to be able to separate the flesh from the spiritual things. So at the end of chapter nine, Daniel's got his answer and we've got ours. It's amazing how God can do that. The warning of the prophets.